to the Just Interesting People podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really hope you enjoy this episode. So we're joined by Jason. Um, thank you so much, Jason, for being here. Jeremy's going to introduce him properly and let you know how we know him. And yeah, let's get on with the episode. Thank you so much for being here and we hope you enjoy it. Thank you, Ro. Uh, thank you, Jason, for being with us today, uh, Mr. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you got way more experience than we do in this, so... <laughs> I've done a few episodes, but at the same time, it's just been under a year since I started a podcast, but things move quickly when you're in this yeah, space, does, yeah. as you'll witness <laughs> yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, we met last year in Miami uh, in the first Mind Valley meetup you hosted in WeWork in, in Wynwood. Um, and we came to all those events, and then I started listening to your podcast, and, and actually I... I said that to coach Jeremy a few weeks ago. Uh, you're one of the person that inspired me to do the podcast. Because, you know, like before, before I met you and Jeremy, podcast was one of the things that, you know, it's like on TV. It's, it's someone else doing like famous people. I don't know. <laughs> it was just like this thing I listen on my phone. And it looks cool, but I don't know how to do it. And then I met you and Jeremy and I was like, all right. They can do it. They look like normal people. I should be able to figure it out, <laughs> you know. And I could relate to you. And and he, okay, I'm I'm gonna look into it a bit more. Um, and I was listening to. Uh, I'm still listening to your podcast, actually. <laughs> nice. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm still listening to you every week. Um, so yeah, you inspire me to start that. So thank you for that. <laughs> that's that's really thank you so much. It's it's awesome to hear that because I mean the point of doing the podcast is to, I would I would think you probably have a similar vibe as to why you're starting your podcast but you're you're trying to make a difference in somebody's life and the yeah. moment you hear a story of someone that had a transformation you're like yeah this is awesome <laughs> so thank you um <laughs> you know what's what's funny is that i i did something uh, interesting on the podcast because i you know with a lot of the things that were happening around the world i tried to bring a lot more topics that could be on the borderline of controversial and it shouldn't even be that case but it was more about things that talked about you know diversity inclusion um you know racism and what i found very interesting in the podcast space is those episodes that i did both on black lives matter about subtle acts of inclusion exclusion um and one that i did on the me too movement mm. happened to be the least watched episodes and most hated episodes oh. and that wow. kind of broke my heart but at the same time it's the ones that I've gotten more messages directly from people that said, thank you for doing that. Mm -hmm. And so just a little hit, uh, a tip as you get on your journey for podcasting is um, be clear on the stands that you want to make and realize that sometimes your metrics are going to try to convince you otherwise. Yeah. But when you hear from the people about those transformations, like just like what you told me now, that's what makes it all worth it. So yeah. awesome. <laughs> I, I wonder if it's because you... So, well, let's talk about it. Uh, so the podcast you're hosting is a Mind Valley podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, it's called Superhuman at Work. Mm -hmm. And um, I wonder if because the audience of the podcast, it's more like business oriented in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so I guess you did some off topic <laughs> uh, subjects. So maybe it's maybe that's one of the reasons. Well, it's, it's interesting because Superhumans at Work, you're right, is geared for people in the business world, for careers, um, you know, borderline entrepreneur as well. But when I included those episodes that were more about, you know, how to be a good human, I also use all case studies that are applying in the workplace. Matter of fact, they were about what are the symptoms of these things happening within the workplace? What are the cultures that perpetuate that? Um, I know we're going right into something heavy, but it's, it's actually very topical. Uh, just a couple of days ago, there was a case, and, and this wasn't a workplace related, but it was a social related. There was a case of uh, sexual abuse that happened in Bali. And they were talking about how the, the reason that this happened, uh, and it was at a party and people like filmed it and it was the culture never stopped it. Like, oh it's like, how do you witness this and not take action? And that's mm -hmm. why I think when you take topics and you share messages and you want to do kind of a, a transformation, even if I'm speaking to a particular audience that might not want to listen to it, it's great to bring those messages forward because getting into uncomfortable conversations, I think is really what makes the transformation. And you know that not everybody's ready for that. You know, there's, mm -hmm. the, I, 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 I I like to think that everybody's on a similar journey as I am. Like for me, one of the things I love is, you know, taking radical 
you know, responsibility for everything, you know, saying like, oh my God, I'm the, I'm the reason everything around me exists. And so whenever I hear messages that hurt, like I remember taking, you know, I'm a, I'm a white man. So I was doing these episodes talking about white privilege and how I play a part in my passiveness in it. And I went like, all right, this is not comfortable, but I'm going to deal with it. And I, I, yeah. I was like, okay, ask the hard questions. Like, how am I showing up in a way that I could show up better next time? And I don't think most people are ready to hear those kinds of conversations, whether it's in the workplace or privately. Um, but, you know, having, having courage, I think, is still having those conversations if it resonates with you. Um, and it's great to be on a platform with a podcast where you can actually distribute those values at a much larger scale. And, uh, and then you'll get to find out who you are in the process. Yeah. And, and at the end, anyway, you're not doing it for the numbers you're not doing it for people to like you you're doing it for yourself you're doing it to bring value to the audience mm -hmm. but i mean if on, if you helped one person with it that's fine job yeah. done it doesn't matter anyway so Et voilà. that's the beauty of it Et voilà. <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know much about you <laughs> let's just call a spade a spade yeah so where are you from how old are you where did you grow up tell me a little bit about where Jason started. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go on a little journey. So let's go back to little Jason. So first off, full name is Jason Mark Campbell. Um, I grew up in a small village in Canada. So 1000 oh. people, usually people wow. call like 1000, like I've been on cruise ships with more people. Um, <laughs> yeah. 1500, I beat you. Yes. There you go. So that's 50% more than the amount of people <laughs> in my village. And you know, it's, it's, it's really fun. Like uh, this was a, a village you, you would call it outside of Ottawa, Canada. Um, so I grew up on the countryside, you know, uh, French Canadian. So for those who are very attentive, will pick up on my accent as well. Um, and yeah, I, I would say I, I had a traditional kind of upbringing. I don't have any traumatic stories to share. I feel like most people that, you know, are speakers and it's funny because I even judge myself. I'm like, oh my God, I'm supposed to have some epic trauma to justify <laughs> why I have a voice. And no, honestly, I, I feel so blessed and grateful. I, I have amazing parents uh, that are very loving uh, and I got to grow up and it was, uh, you know, as turbulent or and as, as, as any person going through high school and growing up, my own episodes, but I wouldn't say anything extreme, you know. I went to University of Ottawa, but one of the things I, I, I found myself at a crossroads, I, I went to business school and for the only reason that I had no idea what I wanted to do in life. So I was like, well, I might as well go in business. I actually funny, funny part is I got accepted into three majors. It was like computer engineering, mathematics and business schools. And I was like, okay, which one will result in me finding a girl? Like, I think that was the motivator. Like, no, no Why shit. Why are all you boys the same? We've heard that like three or four times. Like, I did this to get a girl. I did that to get a girl. Well, Why? It, What is wrong with you guys? Well, nothing wrong. But if you think about like, okay, listen, if, you, if you're in a circle with women, right? If women talk about to each other, they'll usually talk about relationship issues. And then if you talk with a circle of guys, they're usually talking about like things they do, right? And this is a bias in the way that we were raised. But if you dig deep down, then you realize that actually the reason men talk about work is to build self-value because what they really want is the partner in the relationship. And then at the same time, women, I find, find themselves talking a lot about relationship because it feels like you need a foundation of safety so you can go and do what is your passion. That's just an observation, not based on research, but that's just what I feel I've, I've noticed. <laughs> but I digress. Okay. <laughs> um, so with that, went into business school. And by graduating, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So if anybody's at the point where they're, you know, they went to university, they are at university, they're still trying to figure out what to do. I'm 32 years old. I'm still trying to figure out what to do, you know? Yeah, me uh, too. Yeah, I we, still don't know. Right. Um, and, and I, you know, I think, I think if you stay open-minded there, there's there's interesting possibilities that you can notice and it might lead you to somewhere you didn't expect and so i found myself going to a career fair and trying to find these like management training programs and they were like all right after like five ten years of working with us you will make sixty thousand yeah. dollars and i was like uh i think i want to make more um mm. and i found myself going through a path of real estate um i was hired to go as a telephone salesperson for not become an agent I had to go on the phones and call people to book appointments with realtors. So imagine, imagine that you're casually browsing online, looking for properties in your market. And then you see a form and says like, get a list of properties and you fill up a form, which included your phone number. And the moment you fill that form, wow. little Jason would pick up the phone and call you. And this would be one of the most 
growth oriented positions I've ever held in my young adult life. Like the, the aspect of facing all of the insecurities that came with having to call strangers, which felt like cold calling, which wasn't Mm -hmm. and trying to offer them a service that they were looking for and they wanted the amount of fear, the amount of perceived rejection and all of the, all the insecurities came up in that. Mm -hmm. And I had to do a hundred calls a day. Wow. So if you, if you find yourself, you know, having a fear of making any kind of sales interactions or approaching people, getting a telephone sales job is the best growth experience I can wish on people. <laughs> I um, bet you talk about that in your book, right? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, okay. that's, we'll, we'll talk me, about that later. But <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's this fear of rejection, right? There's, mm. there's, there's an interesting reason is, you know, you, if you, get like if you think when we were kids right like you ask mom and dad like when you're when you're a child like you you're you're a natural salesperson quote unquote (laughs) but you're kind of really bad at it because you don't care about anybody else but yourself so you're like oh can i get this can i get that then you keep asking you're persistent and you're quite shameless right um but then you know there's a point where the parents are like tired and they'll be like hey no means no stop asking and there becomes the start of the trauma of you reaching out to others or making any kind of sales is a painful experience. You're reminded of, you know, oh my God, I, I, I was severed from love when I asked too much or if I was persistent. So a lot of people, like if we ask, if I invite somebody to something, we do it once, they say, oh, I'll think about it. Like, okay, I won't bother them again. Mm. Um, yeah. And that's usually because of that that initial trauma. So yeah, true. Um, I never thought about it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so if you get on telephone sales, you get to say hi to your trauma a lot. And, you know, <laughs> So many people like they don't want to talk to you. I, there, there's even one person I think I, I called 24 times after I got over the trauma, and then after calling them 24 times, uh, they ended up putting their property on the market with us. And the, the realtor was like, "Why did you do business with us?" They're like, "Well, you had that little kid who called me like 20 something <laughs> times, give up. and if you're gonna do that just to get me on the phone, then I know you're gonna sell my home too." I'm like, "That's good." Um, but yeah, so so long story short, so I started in sales. I'm very passionate about sales, as you know. This is the process of the book I'm writing to. Um, but then I went into a journey where I built my own company with my two best friends. We started buying property in Florida, actually. Um, so we got together. We taught Canadians how to buy U.S. real estate. We, we bought properties out uh, mostly in the... Um, uh, Orange County, Seminole County, which is in the Orlando area. So we bought properties there. Uh, we renovated them. This is back after the Great Recession, 2010, right? Um, mm-hmm. So we renovated these properties. We had a property manager. We found tenants that would move into the property and we would package it into investment properties for Canadians. So we'd be like, hey, if you buy this, this is the return on investment. This is what it used to be worth. This is what it could right. potentially be worth. And here's how it's much better than leaving your money in the bank. Um, and that was that was my journey into entrepreneurship, but it was also very painful because um, I ended up buying one of those programs, which is kind of like Trump University, but it wasn't that, but it's yeah. what most people resonate with. Um, and I realized that a lot of things I had been told and taught were actually quite scammy. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I got, I, I, we, we went on a journey where we bought a bunch of properties and we were told that they had somebody that was going to fund them at all. Like he brought his cousin and then, we're so excited. They're like, oh my God, they're going to fund all the deals and everything. And it mm-hmm. looked like all sunshines and rainbows until they got us into a room to record testimonials. And then those testimonials ran across Canada and that cousin disappeared. And we realized everything we were taught was kind of wrong. Oh. And mm. there was a, that was painful. Um, that, that, that was a painful chapter. And I, I ended up, you know, going into a depression um, because I felt so like I had a very strong wanting to please everybody like a people pleaser syndrome is is really strong in me and the idea that the people i'd had done business with i could have done something ignorantly wrong was terrifying to me and kind of paralyzed me so i ended up selling the business to one of the partners the the good story is that because of that trauma call it um we ended up, I, I read everything on the U.S. tax codes. I learned everything about real estate. I had to reteach myself with such a sense of urgency that it became the biggest growth period of my life. Um, but I still have a fear of entrepreneurship from it. This idea that there's so many variables that I didn't know how to make decisions uh, was very paralyzing to me. It was very uncomfortable for me. And I still have a bit of fear around that. Um, you'll be young as well, right? You were like 22, 23, I guess. Yeah, I would have been 23, I think. Um, so around two, that's yeah. yeah. So it's tw- 23 years old, like... Uh, um, so yeah, that was a, 
that was an interesting chapter, but it shaped a lot of my values today. Like for what I stand for now is like, I hate douchebag marketing. I hate douchebag sales. And to me, it's like, how can I teach the right people with the right products to learn how to sell the right way so that the good people find the good products instead of being taken advantage of? Um, and that naturally led me to eventually working for Mindvalley, um, personal growth company, sells products online, uh, online marketing, but in an industry that in the you know early 2000s was riddled with people taking advantage of people. Mindvalley stepped up and really raised the bar and said, this is what you should expect from your online products and tons of innovation in education, tons of innovations in marketing, and they can go hand in hand. And now Mindvalley is like, we got uh, maybe like tens of millions of people that are part of our ecosystem and we get to change lives around the world. And of course, the podcast that I host is with them. And so that's uh, that's the journey in a nutshell. Does that give you a bit more context? Yes, <laughs> how, how did you end up finding Mindvalley? Oh, that's very interesting because um, after I sold the company to my friend, I ended up working for a company, uh, one of the companies in Canada that was teaching Canadians how to buy re U.S. real estate. I went and redesigned their educational material. So I, I was like, how do you raise money from investors? I was like, well, I had to do that. Let me show you how you do it right. Well, how do you transact properties in a legal way? Well, I had to do that. Let me, let me re So I rebuilt the whole courses in a very legitimate way. Now, at the time, we're also, we're a marketing company, like we're teaching all that. And there's this one blog called Mindvalley Insights. And this is where Mindvalley was sharing open source, all the ways that they did marketing and sales. And we were like, this is amazing. Like open sourcing was a new movement back then. And they decided to open source their marketing. That's incredible. So I was following that blog. And in some point in the journey that I did skip is I, I picked up one of these books called The 4-Hour Workweek, which is a book by yeah. Tim Ferriss that, you know, a lot of people that are, you know, biz opportunity and interested. Back your back and <laughs> Hey, well, it, it was interesting. I had that conversation with my boss at the time. I said, Hey, I'd like to renegotiate my salary. He's like, uh, you're kind of paid a lot, dude. <laughs> I'm like, I, I know. Um, that's why I think you should pay me half. And now I have his attention. He's like, continue. I said, well, <laughs> pay me half and, and let me work from home. And then I moved to initially Australia. Um, so I moved to Australia. Then I realized the cost of living in Australia is higher than Canada. So that didn't make much sense. Um, <laughs> and then, and then I decided to do better math. And I, what happened is I went to university when I was 20 in Thailand for a student exchange. So I had a lot of friends uh, out there. So I'm like, Hey, the, why don't I just go back to Thailand and, and meet up? And so I went to live there for about six months. And in the process, I remember Mind Valley was sending emails saying, Hey, we're based in Kuala Lumpur. So they said their office was open for a visit. I went to visit their office in Kuala Lumpur. It was a two and a half hour flight. And when I got to the office, the biggest thing I wanted to know is, are they legit? Because I'd seen what marketers can do. I've seen what a scam looks like. It looks pretty on the outside, but you got to do a bit more due diligence. You got you to gotta care enough to ask the hard questions. So I'm like, I'm going to go visit their office to see if Mindvalley is as legit as they make themselves look on the internet. And when I went through the office, I was like, oh my God, okay, this is all a bunch of awesome people in a beautiful mm -hmm. space. This is the real deal. And so I was like, all right, you know what? Um, after the tour, actually, this, was, this is where there's sometimes the universe and whatever you believe in kind of gives you little <laughs> nudges, right? I finished the tour. The girl's like, hey, you're really cool. You should apply for a job here. I'm like, eh, I already got a job. I'm making bank. I'm good. I go downstairs and at the cafe just below the office, I decided to open my laptop and I see that I got an email from my old boss saying I need to come back to Ottawa, Canada, or he'd have to let me go in the coldest oh. email. <laughs> and I'm like, bro, like I've been with you from the start and you decide to sell some, tell me something like this, just by sending a cold email, like pick up the phone, bro. Like that's mm -hmm. not cool. So in a, it's almost in an act of vengeance. I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to deal with this. I'm going <laughs> to apply to mine Valley. And so I just right then and there created a video cover letter. I wrote, send in my resume and I applied to Mindvalley and the rest is history. I got That's the job cool. and here we are. And what job, what job did you initially apply for? <laughs> That's so funny because I, there was, I couldn't understand what the hell Mindvalley did. Like <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea. Yeah, I was going right? to ask if you can. <laughs> if you think it's confusing now, try seven years ago or yeah, over seven <laughs> years ago. I had no clue. Like their blog was awesome. Vishen Lakhiani, the founder, has a crazy voice. I don't know where he's from, but he's got this accent that makes me want to listen. And I was like, all right, like what's going on? So there's a bunch of jobs listed and it's like one of them is product development manager. I'm like, what does that mean? I don't know what it means. I'll do it. Yeah, I'm like, I could do that. So I apply for that. I start, I think it was the second interview or something. Uh, I'm talking to this man, Ajit. And he's like, all right, so what do you think you're going to do with product 
uh, product development manager. I'm like, oh, fuck. Uh, <laughs> oops, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I'm just like, okay, so I'm on my feet. I'm like, okay, I'm like, you know what? I think we're going to be marketing products. So I, I initially, I, what I did describe wasn't too bad. I actually de- de- described what a product launch manager would be. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I think, you, you know, you take a product line, you look for spaces to innovate, you design the marketing and everything. So I, I'm just describing that. And this was one of the more interesting rebuttals I've heard from an interviewer, which really is a good question if you want to put people on the spot. So in hindsight, I'm like, good job. But in spot, I was terrified. (laughs) He goes, I I did the answer. He's like, well, Jason, based on your description, um, you obviously have no clue what this job is about. And secondly, based on our interview so far, you'd actually be really terrible at the job that you'd apply for. (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) Like, what do you say when someone <laughs> tells you that, right? So naturally, you freeze. Yeah. Luckily, luckily, I had the training in sales. Luckily, I had those telephone sales I did in the past. <laughs> luckily, I'm okay with rejection. And I was so blessed that I had a quick answer. I was like, well, I'm so glad you told me that. So tell me, which job should I be applying for? Ooh, good one. <laughs> yeah, and then he was just went like, yeah, I think you'd be a good launch manager, which was basically what I described. And that's right. what I ended up uh, doing as my first job at Valley. But I only stayed in that job for three weeks. So that's a whole Why? other chapter. Why only three weeks? Because <laughs> you're terrible at it. <laughs> no, I was. Come on now. Have a little more faith in me. Um, <laughs> no, is the moment I joined... Um, I started looking into becoming that launch manager. Started. I launched a product. The first one was actually a healing school with... Uh, with Chris Mary Sheldon and it was really, really cool. And within three weeks, the person that ran the blog that I was such a fan of, the Mind Valley Insights, which actually part of an entrepreneurship division at Mind Valley, he was transferring departments and there was an open role. So on my like second week, I just stepped up to vision. And again, the salesmanship you'll you'll notice comes up. Uh, I just went up, I said Hey, Vishen, I, I noticed somebody stepped down from the entrepreneurship position, and I have to be quite honest. I don't think anybody here would be as good as me to take on that role. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, who's this kid? Like, it, it, Yeah, and, uh, and then basically I went through a round of interviews, and they're like, you're right. So I took on that division um, wow. on my third week, <laughs> and uh, that was a lot of fun. That's so cool. <laughs> so how, what? How did you then go from there to Bali? What's in between there? Well, that's a seven-year journey. Um, <laughs> what I will say is um, I, I, did, I ended up doing so many different roles within Mind Valley. but what the, the long story of it is, or the short story of it is I, I found myself running the entrepreneurship division. I started hosting uh, an interview series with Mind Valley. I started hosting the podcast. I ran the events team for a while. I ran um, with the authors. Oh. Bless you. Excuse me. Oh, this will be a fun one. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> I'm human. Just, just proving it. Yeah. Um, so I ended up running into a lot of different departments, and eventually, um, I had a chance to work remotely. And this is actually where I got a chance to meet you because I work remotely in Miami. Mm. And uh, Mind Valley, luckily, about two years ago, designed everything to be remote friendly first, and by doing such, made us very ready to adapt when COVID happened. Now. Um, as I went back to Malaysia after, um, after leaving Miami, this was at the beginning of 2020, uh, the reason I ended up in Bali was simply because uh, my partner is very intuitive. And we got back to Malaysia, and I was like, okay, she was feeling like the vibes were weird. I was getting crazy allergies, and she was like, I feel like we need to go to Bali. She had never been. I'd been many times, and I was like, yeah, Bali's pretty cool. Uh, we can maybe go there one day. And then one day, she's just like, you know what? No, Malaysia's not working for me. I'm leaving to, I'm leaving to Bali tomorrow. And I'm like, okay, well, I got work to do here. So you, you go ahead and, you know, let me know how it is. Um, and so she came to Bali and about a month, uh, sorry, about a week in, she's like, what are you still doing in Kuala Lumpur? So she's the one who actually invited me in and I started rationalizing it. I went like, hey, I've already been working remotely. Why did I come back to Malaysia to work with my colleagues when I get so much more benefits when I get close to the customers? At least that's a story I told myself to go to my boss and say, hey, I'm going to move to Bali. Um, I said, I'll be closer to the customers, which in fact is true. There's so much of the tribe that is here in Bali. But February starts, I moved here to Bali. And at the beginning, we're like, okay, let's stay here for a few months. And COVID happened. And they issued emergency visas. And um, and so here I am just uh, getting a chance to be Stuck a nice... Stuck in Bali, poor you. 
I know it's it's incredible. <laughs> Honestly, I'm so blessed and so lucky. There's the the government's been amazing here, um, and yeah, the the cases aren't too uh, are too propagated. And uh, I I had a choice to come here. I mean, the weather's great, the food is great, the people are great, everything's great. Honestly, so I don't have a reason to leave, and now I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so now I understand why right now you're writing this book about sales makes sense yeah <laughs> all this background and everything it's i've it got more clarity about that um when did you decide to write a book i mean that's a big thing to decide like wh wh where's that coming from well i did this exercise maybe like six years ago <clears throat> maybe even seven it was called the three most important questions it's kind of a goal setting methodology making you realize that most goals we set are for um like oh i want to get X so that I can get Y so then finally I'll be happy and 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 so we chase these intermediary goals for an ultimate thing that we're seeking what what happens is you break it down on what are the experiences I want to have in life what are what is the growth I want to have in life and what's the contribution I want to make an example of contribution is exactly what I told earlier which is you know I don't want to see people taking advantage of people through manipulative sales and marketing tactics that's a contribution is create a space where that cannot happen And to me, the best way to do that is to teach sales to the right people. Um, and so I put into my growth that I would want to write a book. I thought that being able to do that would be a, a growth achievement. It would be a challenge worth overcoming. And I didn't know at the time that it was going to be a sales book. I just put it down. I was like, I think it'd be cool to write a book. And once that was there, I'd love to say I put it down and I immediately started working on my book. It was amazing. <laughs> no. It was, I put it down and then I looked at it on my goal list for about uh, six years and did nothing, like absolutely nothing. And then at some point after I started giving it, I was giving talks and, and taking the stage and speaking on these concepts of selling with love a lot. And then I, I just had one friend come to me and I have to thank him. His name's Colton. Um, he just came to me and he's like, dude, the one thing you need to do is just write a book. If once you write a book, everything else can lead from there. That'll be your business card. Everything else in your, 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 like you'll get clear on your message. Like it's just that it's the one thing, do the book. And I was like, well, shit, I did put that down. And <laughs> my God, that sounds a little intimidating. But that again, once, once he told me that wise advice, I immediately got to work and started writing my book. No. Um, and that's a bit of the hero's journey, isn't it? Like you, you kind of yeah. resist the call, right? Um, yeah. What happened is, I ended up, I was working at booking appointments for uh, Vishen Lakhiani's podcast for Mindvalley. And one of the people that I would work with is publishing agents. And there's a self-publishing company called Scribe, if ever you've heard of an individual called Tucker Max. And those are, that's the company that basically allows people to self-publish. And they were always sending me the authors they were about to publish so I could see which ones I wanted to put on the podcast. And at some point I asked them, Zach, like, Um, how does it work? And if I ever wanted to write a book, what should I do? And they set me up on a sales call with one of their team. They ran a workshop for two days and it was $10,000. And I was like, you know what? Money is a powerful thing. Money is energy and money shows intention. And so I said, I, I believe I want this book to happen and I want to commit to it. So I ended up paying the 10,000, going to a two day workshop. And here's what's interesting. The majority of that workshop was literally just dealing with the fears and the stories mm -hmm. that you tell yourself as to why you're not writing a book. Wow. Wow. Now, It's basically the kick in the butt to get started. Right? And now for people $10, are like, <laughs> wow, you paid 10 grand for that. Well, guess what? This entire course is available online for free, last I checked. <laughs> well. And now some people yeah, will be like. Yeah, you would have not paid for it. You would have never went through it. Like, that's, the, that's the key. That's, it's because you paid that you cared about it. Energy is a powerful thing. Yeah. Money is a powerful energy. And so yeah. when, for me, someone would be like, oh my God, you got taken advantage of it for 10,000? It's like, no, even at the end of the workshop, they're like, if you don't want to pay the 10,000, don't pay it. I was like, no, 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 I'm paying this. That's how it's important to me. Um, and so th sending that energy, yeah, I could have learned anything by just following some blog posts and you know picking up a book for 10 bucks. But now, like I invested into it. And mm -hmm. now my book is drafted. I just need to edit it. And this thing will be published in early 2021. And I don't think cool. I would have ever had something as great as what I'm creating if I wouldn't have gotten the kick in the butt and the structure that they gave me to be able to do it. And so there was, that, that was very powerful. So mm. It's a good lesson here. Yeah. 
I'm excited to read that because we suck at sales. So <laughs> that's the one we yeah. need. Ooh. I was literally going to say, we always have like good, well, what we think is good business ideas. And then we get there and we're like super excited. And then we're like, shit, how do we sell this to people? How do we get people to actually buy it or give us money? Like that's the bit that we struggle with. But Ooh, do you yeah, guys, so guys want to get over that? Because we are on a call together. I could walk you through a process. <laughs> oh, go for it. Yeah, go on then. Okay, well, tell me more. Why do you hesitate in selling so much? Like what's the resistance? I don't even think there is a resistance. We just don't know how to do it. It's not like I'm scared to talk to people or scared of rejection or... I don't know. It's just we don't we don't know yeah, that... Yeah, that's... I mean, no. Do you think? Like, that's, that's the thing. I don't know. Naturally, that's the thing I say. But actually, yeah, I mean, it's not nice to be rejected. So I'd rather not be rejected. I think for me it's more... <laughs> I know, personally, yeah. I'd rather not. I think for me it's more not knowing how to reach the right people. Like with Facebook ads and things, like I don't know how to do Facebook ads and how do you make sure that you're not just wasting your money? You know, you have to target the right people and make the ads actually work to make it worthwhile because you can spend $1,000 and not reach anyone. And I kind of think, well, it's not worth spending $1,000 because I'm not going to get anyone anyway. Mm. So that's well, more my thing is not knowing exactly how to do it. So if I could make be so bold as to make assumptions here, uh, it sounds yeah. like, Jeremy, what's most relevant for you right now is fear of rejection. Like you're very aware that that's something that creates some sort of anxiety, which is totally normal. And for you, I would say it's actually more of a... Uh, oh, oh, I'm going to sneeze. Excuse <laughs> <laughs> me. Uh, it's morning here in Bali and the allergies are kicking in. Um, for you, actually, I think it's something that I also relate to a lot um, because I hear myself when you speak is um, fear of failure. See, the concept mm. of waste, it seems like it's terrifying to waste $1,000 in Facebook ads. Yet, if you wanted to learn how to run Facebook ads, go and spend $1,000 and see what you learn. Yeah. You would go and pay $2,000 for a course on how to run Facebook ads and find yourself running $0 in ads because you'd be so paranoid about actually not doing it perfectly. And so this fear of, uh, this fear of failure actually is something that holds you back a lot. Um, and what I would say is that there, there, there's a couple things to look into. If you're looking at the beliefs around rejection, um, you know, I, I did speak about, you know, the childhood beliefs and, and that actually is something to look into. Like, how is this uh, how is it that I was in my childhood and how was I dealing with when I asked for something? Did I get it? Did I get rejected? Did it hurt? There's a lot of evidence there. Um, another thing is just your first sales experience. If you saw yourself interacting with a salesperson that actually was not someone that was quite the role model you were expecting, maybe they took advantage of you as well. You're going to be like, wow, sales is douchey. I don't want to be like those people. And deeper into that is kind of understanding the identity of the salesperson most people think of sales and they think about a used car salesman, which is not a personality that they necessarily want to associate with. Well, mm. yeah. what you need to actually look at is who are the biggest role models you have in your lives? Like, is there somebody that you look up to? Mm. Um, who do I look up to in terms of business or in terms Anything. of... Anything. Give me a role model. Oh, well, my grandma, but that doesn't really count. <laughs> well, maybe it does. <laughs> why are you, why is your grandmother a role model? Because she's just the best. Mm -hmm. She's just the kindest, sweetest person. Isn't she? Yeah. Oh, I love her. <laughs> um, well, tell you what, your grandmother is a strong woman um, and she probably had a mate come into her life that allowed her to create a family. And I'm pretty sure that they probably loved each other and she loved all of the kids and the family and getting to express love to them. There's always things that they're going to be asking for the parents or the, the kids to do like as parents you have to become a salesperson because if you're going to raise a child you need that child to do certain things and if you want that child to be raised right you're going to be gently with love and if you can always step into an emotion of love when you're doing the activities of trying to get the kids to eat his vegetables get the kid to go to school and do his homework there's some loving ways to gently sell them into doing that action negotiation. So, <laughs> there's a bit of negotiation so not not the example i was expecting but if we think about like role model like famous people that you aspire to be like if you're running a podcast is there a role model podcast that you enjoy that you want to grow into uh, or in your business i don't know who's my role model doesn't need to be the one someone you're in you're inspired by um well there's a youtuber we're actually going to speak to this week that i'm inspired by she started she started YouTube like a couple of years ago, but then this past three months, she's got herself like 100,000 followers, uh, subscribers, and she's just doing awesome. She's now at like two, over 200,000. Um, 
So I think that's just, like inspirational because she's killing it. There you go. And how about you, Jeremy? Um, Gary V. Yeah, he's the <laughs> first one go. that came to mind. Yeah, but that's okay. I, that so in terms of spirit, yeah, that's is I I really relate to his content. Uh, mm-hmm. And well, I discovered his content when I was starting to shift my mindset about career life and stuff like that because <clears throat> uh, like th- three four years ago yeah four years ago i was on the path of just checking the boxes you know like you get a house you get a job you have a baby you can marry the, all these things and and it's not about happiness it's about having the bigger house and the swimming pool and the paycheck and 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 i'll worry about being happy when I retired, <laughs> you know, this, yeah. this kind of basic path that we all on. Uh, but like three years ago, four years ago, like I, I got a new job and and I started to see that actually the workplace could be something fun that I could enjoy. I could be happy working, doing something that I love. Uh, and and actually money is not something that I care about that much and stuff like that. And, and I discovered his content about <clears throat> at the same time when he keeps saying like, I actually was listening to it this morning and a quick video and he was saying he was talking to a guy he was saying like are you happy with what you do yes can you pay your bill and do you have enough money to live yes well you're winning then that's it that's all you need yeah and i was like yeah i'm winning that's exactly right now how i feel like i'm happy i have enough money to do what i want i don't care about having more like i'm winning there you go so what I love about finding these kinds of role models, right? So Gary Vee is a great example. And your friend who just got a lot of followers is also a great example because the question is, are they salespeople? Yes, but not in the cliche definition that we have. So why, why is the idea of a salesperson supposed to fit this cliche that you've built in your head? Yeah, because for me, like you said, like a, a salesperson is like this douchebag that's going <laughs> to knock on my door and trying to sell me this fucking thing that I don't need and care about and try to trick me into bullshit stuff. When it's all about selling with love, like you're saying. Like it's just about like you, if you care about what you do, you sell without selling. Actually, it's interesting because with the startup I'm, I'm working for right now, like we are doing like applications and I don't see myself, well, we just said that. Like I think I suck at selling things. But actually, I could sell the application that we do, and I do it. But I don't see that I don't see myself as a salesperson. I just talk about it naturally, and because I believe that it's a great product, I love it. It's just coming naturally, it's flowing, and and at the end, people buy it. But you know, it's I don't know. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, I need you to say something. Yeah. Say I am a salesperson. <laughs> I don't think I am. <laughs> That's not what he told you to say. <laughs> All right. I am a salesperson. <laughs> and so is every human being on the planet. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's the punchline. We're all salespeople. And whether you do it in a way that's this cliche douchebag way, or you do it in a way that you never even lift a finger. Like, for example, my dad has a swimming pool company, right? He hates sales and marketing. And he thinks that everything is just going to happen by word of mouth. Well, how do you end up selling and growing a company if it's all word of mouth? Well, you deliver a great product, you offer good service, you run things ethically. These are all activities that support what? They support growth and sales. And so you can have a style of selling and some of them are more effective than others. Douchebag selling is not effective. Yet Elon Musk is out there telling us that we're going to be colonizing Mars and is getting the biggest contracts for SpaceX and he's growing the valuation of Tesla like nobody's business and everyone's excited in his mission and he's the most introverted, awkward dude you've ever seen. Is he a salesperson? You bet he is. He's one of the best. And just like Gary Vee. And and then you see him on stage and he's like... (laughs) Tony Stark's showing up. Like That doesn't happen by accident. That is a very deliberate sales process and marketing activities that create the exact outcome that he's looking for, which is highest valuation, more sales, and it's done in a classy way that everybody loves. And so what I wanted to make as a point is that when you look at sales, and I'll, I'll just be like, oh, sales is in this bucket of douchey, slimy, disgusting, hated, manipulative, <laughs> all these negative things you associate with sales, you, you compartmentalize it and don't embrace it for yourself. Like, how are you going to pick up a book that talks about sales tactics? And matter of fact, every one of those books, 
usually teaches you how to be more authentic, how to speak from the heart, and how to actually communicate with people the true value of what you're offering to them and listening to them and making sure you're solving their problems. That is the essence of what being good at sales is, is solving people's problems, helping them understand that the real value that you're providing needs to be seen from a lens of perceived value. This is this goes a little deeper, but it's like you can only know what the real value of something you get the moment you get it. That's when it actually reveals like, aha, this is what yeah. I got. You don't know until you pick it up. The only things you can see is perceived value, your expectations of how valuable it is, mm-hmm. and the price. That's all you see. And so if you see something that's 100 bucks and you're, you're like, oh, I think like it's going to be worth 150 for me. That seems like a good deal in your mind. And the moment you pick it up, if you get it and you're like, wow, this feels like 50 bucks, you're pissed. And the real magic in selling, the real magic comes up when you're able to find a market where when you go to people and you explain to them what it is, they'll think and feel that it's worth 200. They'll pick it up, they'll hold it in their hands and it's actually worth 250 and you're able to charge them 150. And so there's this like elevation of different things that is you want your real value to be the highest. You want the perceived value to be higher than the price and still lower than the real value. So that's how you delight people. That's how people buy and then you still surprise them the moment they get it. And if you can come with that type of mentality every time you want to go sell, you don't feel like manipulating. Matter of fact, you just want so desperately to people to just understand and give a shot to the fact that guess what? Once you have this in your hands, you will see the real values and you know how amazing it is for them because you took the time to listen to them. You took the time to care about who they are. You took the time to understand their problems and you took the time to understand what happens when their life is without that problem. So when you send your applications, when you sell what you're doing in your own business, you know intrinsically the real value. You're unapologetic about showing the perceived value and you keep yeah, the price no, yeah. low. I actually know that I'm, I'm, they're doing the right choice. Like exactly. I'm not bullshitting them. I'm actually, I actually believe it. <laughs> That's the essence of being good at sales. Yeah. And so um, I actually def- I, I, I use a fantasy definition in the, in the book, which is actually energy. Uh, selling is nothing more than an energy exchange between conscious beings. Mm-hmm. You're just exchanging energy. But when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, it becomes an expression of love. Mm. There's emotions in every sales. And if you can do it from a place of love, that's how it makes the world better. It makes the client better. It makes you feel better. And then you finally have a space where you're eliminating the opportunity for douchebag sailing to even exist because you exist yeah, in the marketplace. Yeah, because you get rid of this hypocrisy and this constant lying. And it's actually like honest exchange, like you said. And, and just hey, bringing voilà. value to others. That's it. That's all hey, it is. Voilà. Hey, voilà. So thank you for doing what you do. Now keep scaling it, keep doing more <laughs> of it because if you don't scale and you don't create more impact with the amazing things that you both do, then you're creating a marketplace for people that don't do it as ethically to thrive and survive. Good point. Damn, I want to read your book. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out in 2021. <laughs> um, it's a good one. Oh. But what, what I could yeah. do is I actually have a really fun thing I can share with you and anybody else who's listening is a, is a cheat sheet. It's a series of questions you can ask around the five loves of selling, uh, which I define in the book. But there's three questions you can ask about each love. And it's you answer those questions, you'll naturally find yourself in a space where you can step back into love. Anytime you're feeling hesitancy, you're lacking confidence, you're not feeling motivated to sell, uh, you go back to that cheat sheet and you're like, oh, yeah, that's why I'm selling. Um, so I can offer that to you if you like. Yeah, yeah. that'd be awesome, yeah. Yeah. And for anybody listening, I'd say if you follow me on Instagram, Jason Mark Campbell, um, if you can add it in the show notes there, I, I, I'll yeah, just I just send me a direct message. Say you listen to me on this podcast. I'll send you this cheat sheet as well. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Let's go back to you a little bit because I've got a few things that I want to touch base with you. Um, I know you've been growing a lot since you've been working to Mind Valley. Uh, obviously, you, you got access to amazing content, so it's been helping a lot. <laughs> yep. Uh, I know you've been doing like live book and stuff like that. I remember actually seeing a picture of you on Instagram a while ago, a few like, I don't know, a few years ago, and I remember I messaged you saying like, "Is that really you?" Yeah. Like physically, you changed a lot. <laughs> you, you've been like training hard, and I I, I remember. <laughs> Missing you like God, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, um, so, well, the benefit of being at My Valley is you get exposed to a lot of personal growth stuff. Uh, health yeah. and fitness was a category that you know I went deep into. It's the easiest one, isn't it? It's like the one that it's, you you get external validation, I guess. Yeah. Um, by doing the work, but it, it feels good. Um, so I ended up going on a diet, which was like uh, Wild Fit, which is not a diet; it's a lifestyle, as it is advertised <laughs> properly. Um, 
but just really evaluating the relationship I had with different foods. Um, I started this workout protocol, which was called 10X. It was something we were doing at Mind Valley, um, which is this like super slow training. It, it was really funny. I to do that picture on the before and after. Um, I I ended up uh, working out once every week ish, once a week ish for 15 minutes. Matter of fact, th that's a lie. It was actually more like 11 minutes. Right. And that was it. And people were like, what Problem. the hell? What, what have you done? Um, it was just this pure strength training. So I, I would eat really well and I would do this workout once a week-ish. I say ish because sometimes it was maybe more like 10 days. Yeah. And the transformation I was able to have was phenomenal. Um, mm. So I got very lucky for that. Um, and then, yeah, I posted my before and after. And it's like I say, it's it's the easy one because you can see the transformation physically. You can kind of post the picture. Yeah. But what was more interesting during that time is all the other work that I did on things that are a lot more internal. And that brings you intrinsic motivation, intrinsic value. Um, talking about like, you know, working on my emotional state, working on my own character. Like, do I do what I say I'm going to do? Am I being honest? Am I being, am I, am I sharpening my ax? Am I, uh, these are all things that I really want to challenge. I, I came to a point where I was a bit of an asshole. <laughs> I, I felt like I was this guy who had it all together. You know, I had this job at Mind Valley. I had the girlfriend. I was doing everything. And, um, and I did some things that are very much out of integrity. You know, I was unfaithful um, to my partner. And that seems so out of character with who I wanted to be, who I was. Um, and it was, it was devastating. Like, I really hurt someone. And in the process, it was very painful for me, too. Like, I was embarrassed and ashamed of who I saw in the mirror. And that was a catalyst for a lot of transformation. Like when, when that happened, like I realized, okay, well, if I want, if I'm not happy with who I see in the mirror, you need to change. And mm -hmm. I was lucky that I had access to a lot of these tools where I started doing the inner work. I discovered a part of myself that I never thought I cared about, which was spirituality, like understanding why the hell are we all here? Like, and so I, I associated myself with a lot of the new age spiritual concepts. And I, I really, I really found that to be a pillar to help me understand and make peace with all the goods and the bads and the labels and everything that's happening in the world. Um, again, sharpening the character, then motivated to go to the, the gym, just like recrafting the statue that was standing before me in the mirror and being like, I can do the work. You know, if you're not, if you're not being proactive, there's, there's this concept from, um, it's being taught by Michael Beckwith, one of our teachers. It's, it's the concepts of Kensho and Satori. Satori is growth through insight. Like, ah, you, you hear something like perhaps, maybe perhaps with what I shared around sales gave you an insight. Ah, maybe I can be a salesperson and do it the right way. And now I'm inspired to make a change on the way that I perceive sales. That's great. Kensho is a little more of a slow burn. That's insight through pain. And that's when you go so far down the wrong direction that you get to a point that you crash, you burn, you pivot, and then you grow faster than ever. And that's what happened to me. Like, um, I was when I was initially at Mindvalley, I was selling from a point that, oh, look at me, I'm this this good person that's put together, and I'm going to sell these products to help these broken people get back together. But I never even consumed the products myself. I thought I was better than that. Uh, that's why I said I was an asshole. Oh, and what happened is I got slapped humbleness back into me, and I started studying all the programs, and I realized how much transformation it did for me. And then when I showed up and was able to sell them again, I knew how important it was to stay up an extra hour to be able to sell it better, to do the marketing better, to write the copy better. Because if I could reach one more person to have the impact that it could have as it had on me, that was worth working for. That was worth writing for. That was worth putting energy into. Um, and so, yeah, that was, uh, that was my grounding moment. So I found myself putting my feet back on the ground and trying to be a better man in the process. And, uh, that led to a lot of the transformation. You saw the before and after from a picture of fitness, yeah. <laughs> but the things that changed inside were quite dramatic from my perspective and I'm quite proud of. Hmm. Yeah, just going back to what you just said, uh, <clears throat> yeah, in terms of like growth, I agree that usually where we see like the biggest growth usually comes from crashing hard and the hardest you crash, usually the, the, the biggest the growth after all this. Um, but it's also interesting to see that it's a shame that we need to crush to grow. <laughs> no, you don't. We, no, no, no you but don't. quite often, like quite often. We, 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 we struggle to naturally 
grow just because we want to we usually wait to reach like the bottom before we jump back it's it's uh, i don't, the, I don't the, know why but the, the only reason I, I say no you don't is because i had the belief that you needed to as well and i feel like you create your own like if you believe that you need to crash then you're gonna you're gonna create your scenario where you're gonna crash mm. real hard and that's yeah. why there's the other aspect the satori is that you can, if you can embrace the insight and you can learn from other people's story. I mean, for those who are listening to this podcast, already you're hearing stories of people's development. You can hear some of the stories. You can hear some of their drops. So you don't need to drop yourself to be able to get the insight of what could be done in a better way. So you don't need to go through that drop. You can go for the insight. Yeah, you'll still have struggles. You'll still have you know, challenges to overcome in life. But if you can be, um, well... I guess the word would be wise if you could be wise enough to pick up on the lessons that you hear and realize like hey it, it, it's kind of like you, you can wait till you're overweight and you know um, really f having low energy to be like okay i go on a diet or you could be like hey i'm pretty sure these big macs are going to make me fat and unhealthy yeah. i'm going to start eating better because i've seen what other people have led to and how hard it can be for the people that do gain a lot of weight to lose it back again i'm going to take initiative and so that's one thing I want to add as a caveat. Yeah. I think one of the reasons that makes it hard is because obviously you need to question who you are. Because uh, you need to stop assuming that you're perfect. Right? <laughs> if you want to grow, you need to assume that you can get better. And to assume that you can get better, you need to stop assuming you're the best at everything you do. <laughs> yep. And, and people don't like that no. <laughs> most of the time. No. It's really hard to face the truth and say, actually, I could be a better human being like you just said before like i could be more humble and mm. more compassionate and everything but that's facing the truth is hard <laughs> yeah it is and we and don't like it that's why sometimes the pain is what's going to nudge you in the right direction so yes take you you can swallow your humbleness pill in a few ways but the most painful way is the one that if you're not going to make the if you're not going to become aware yourself the universe will be there to gently remind you yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what's next for you? Well, obviously the book is going to launch next year. Um, but what's, it's interesting. I'm eight, well, 10 years, pretty much. You finished college 10 years ago, right? Uh, you, you've done a lot. You've, you already had a business. Hmm. Uh, so you went through the entrepreneurship thing. Now you, I feel you're loving your job right now. You're really fulfilled, really happy. Uh, you're providing amazing value to other people. What, what I love about what you do right now is also allowing you to grow your personal brand and you as a human being because it's like your podcast is the podcast by Mind Valley, but it's it's you. It's, you are the face of this podcast. So mm. you are growing as a person, as, as, as a human as well. Uh, mm. And you're not just growing the brand uh, in a sense, which is amazing for you, uh, obviously, for your book and everything. That's so good. That, that's such a cool stuff Mind Valley is allowing you to do. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're, you're going to laugh at this. Um, so I don't know when this podcast is being released, but as of September 1st, I will be leaving Mindvalley. Oh. Ah. <laughs> but not in bad terms at all. Instead is, you know, you talked about, you know, who you are. And I think one of the aspects that drives you into who you are is being clear on what you want to do while you're on this planet. Um, yeah. As you've noticed, I make me when it comes to teaching people how to sell with love is the big passion that I have. And I, I, I had to take inventory. I, I looked at what I was doing as a full time for Mindvalley. And I realized that if it's not allowing me to grow the personal brand, if it's not allowing me to push the message of selling with love, um, not only is it a waste of time for me, um, but it's also very expensive for Mindvalley. I'm expensive for Mindvalley. So I said, okay, I had a conversation. I said, why don't I change my role into being a contractor and only do the things that are most impactful for the skills that you know I have that make the greatest impact? What is that? hosting the podcast, doing activities that build my personal brand. And that allows me to clear, to, to share the message of everything that Mindvalley is all about. Did a live stream on YouTube yesterday for the Mindvalley page talking about loneliness. And if you were at the meetup that we did in Miami, we talked about loneliness. I went deeper into the field, being able to speak, being able to teach is the things that I do the best for Mindvalley. And so I decided to actually transition out, go back into entrepreneurship. And now it's a very interesting time because as much as I'd like to tell you that, oh my God, I know everything. I'm good to go. I'm going to be a successful entrepreneur. I'm terrified. I have a lot of fear because I've been an employee for the last seven years and actually before that more years. So maybe almost 10 years, I've not been an entrepreneur. And there's a certain terror that I've relied so much on the vision that was at Mindvalley that I haven't flexed my own personal vision muscle. 
And so this has been what I've been working on for the last few months is redefining what is it that I really want to do? How do I make decisions for myself? How do I take responsibility around what I want to create and go forward? And I wouldn't say fearlessly, I will say with fear, continue to move forward because I know it aligns with the impact I want to make in the world. And there's fear in that. And that's interesting. It's fun. It's exciting. It's new. And it makes me feel like I'm on the right path. So here we go. That's so cool. It's <laughs> so exciting. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. <laughs> Have you thought about doing like in-person workshops for like a couple of days a week or so? Yeah, well, you know, there's this little virus going around the world that makes it a little more difficult. But yeah, I actually did. Um, it was fun in an effort to help in the transition. I did my first live workshop. Uh, it was a four hour workshop here in Bali. And the feedback was incredible. Matter of fact, it was so good. People were like, we can't do this in four hours. It needs to be at least a three-day event. So uh, more than likely, this will be what I'll de develop. Um, but it's, it's, you know, this is the biggest pain I have as being an entrepreneur. I'm like, okay, I need to do the online course. I'm going to do these in-person workshops. I'm going to start coaching people. I'm going to write my book. I'm also going to do these <laughs> partnerships. I'm going to go do this. And then I'll go on YouTube. And then I got to build my Instagram. But I need to have a following. But then I need to have, holy like, <laughs> and I'm sure everyone listening might be empathizing on this. I'm sure you guys are also feeling this ADDness of opportunities everywhere. And you have to make it. And this is what I think is the biggest thing that you need to do as an entrepreneur is choose boldly move. Like, what is the one thing? And interestingly enough, for me, it was the book. I haven't edited my book um, in a few weeks now. And I'm finding myself being cast into this temptation of different options. But at the same time, it's always sitting down, looking at what's all about like available and being like, okay, what do I need right now? And what needs to be done? And what will make the biggest impact and being very clear, start with a one year or even three years. If you got the longer term vision stuff down, what am I looking to achieve? Okay. What's the one thing I need to do this year? What's the one thing I need to do this quarter? What's the one thing I need to do this month? What's the thing I'm doing this week? What am I doing today? Like breaking down like that really puts you back on the right track and takes away all the distractions. So I'll, I'll give a, a fun example. Some person was like, okay, Jason, like you really need to build your LinkedIn. You need to keep posting. You need to keep posting. And I'm like, God, I feel like I'm in the rat race of social media. This is annoying. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not going to post crazy. What I'm going to do is keep working on an incredible message that people want to hear. And I'm going to nurture relationships with everybody else that's a marketer that's trying to build their LinkedIn. Because the moment I have something fascinating, interesting that transforms the lives of audiences, I can reach out with the people with the reach and be like, I can bring this to your audience. And then that'll be a fucking win. Like, I realize that's because you have to make a decision. Like, am I becoming a marketer or am I speaking on my message? If I'm becoming a marketer, then yeah, use all the growth tactics and social media and do the Gary Vee stuff. Like, I'll put the content, content, content. Like, it's like, okay, I get it. If that's the business I'm in and that's the media I want to create. But I decided that for me, the message around selling with love is what I need to craft because everyone else is putting, you know, media out and content out. But people are looking for an original message to put it and associate with. I think this selling with love is a powerful message that a lot of people want to associate with. And that will be the pivotal moment that allowed to catapult and grow everything else without having to have such a diligence around posting regularly. So that's how I pick my battles. Like I have to look at what is the one thing. Yeah. And prioritize. And well, yeah, that's so exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm excited. Nervous, yeah, but excited. It's good. Yeah, it's a good nervousness <laughs> exactly yeah cool well i was gonna ask you what you what's your plan for like in one year and five years but i guess i'm gonna squeeze that now because it's just gonna be well a really fun journey and and, and you'll see it'll be you'll really it fun um <laughs> I, it's funny because i actually found myself going to a retreat like i isolated myself i uh, just went to a hotel isolated and i i just worked on journaling like what the hell do i want like that big vision stuff and what i ended up doing is kind of doing the statement the statement that overreaches and kind of pushes me to do what I do. And to me, it became very simple is I want businesses to care more about the impact of everything they do. Mm. That's, that's what like, I want companies to give more shits about everything they do and wow it, what result it brings to society. So if I'm Coca-Cola, how much do you give a shit about the fact that you are creating, you know, obesity around the world? And then it's like, it's, it's hard because a company like Coca-Cola set up distribution channels, set up water access for a lot of companies. There's a lot of things that they do, quote unquote, good. But at the core of it, there's still a negative impact thing that's happening. So if I can teach companies to care more and make it so that buyers care more about the care that the companies have, this is how I started building the entire empire. I was like, okay, if I want companies to care more, where do I start? 
sales. If I can tell, show them to sell with love, they'll care about the impact they have on everything they do. They'll look at that and they'll be able to sell it better. And that increases their bottom line, which means there's a lot of revenue to make there. Then I can actually also work with buyers. How do I teach buyers to be more cautious about how they buy? What are the questions to ask when you're about to buy something so you don't get scammed and that you get to pick the one that's actually making a positive impact that's aligning with your values? How do you educate the buyer? How do you educate investors to invest in the companies that actually make the positive impact? How do you make a media channel that actually has the right messages that gives you the right information that educates you the right way around how do you make the world care? How do you make the world better? How do you make these news articles be published? Like all of these different facets of business, like how do you run a team in a way that the team inside the company is actually operating more with care and that the culture is promoting healthy versus negative? All of these are umbrellas within everything making a business care more. It needs to care more about investments, care more about its employees, care more about its product, care more about its sales, all of it. And I think what's everybody's level of, uh, it's funny when I was with Jeremy, uh, the other Jeremy, Coach Jeremy, is a friend, mutual friend of ours, I was with him and I told him that there's a, there's a concept called the fuck bucket, which is like, there's so many fucks we can give in a date. Well, if we can make companies have more fucks to give about everything that happens because they exist, I think we're going to have a less fucked up planet. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing ambition. Yeah. There's a lot of work to do. Yes, sir. No, yeah, well, you're not going to be out of business in 12 months. It's fine. You, you're going to have work for a long time. So. There we go. <laughs> Problems to solve. Yeah. That's where you start. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's an amazing ambition. I, totally understand what you what you say like right right now our society is driven by like you know like a vc is going to invest in a company that that's going to make money that, that's all they look at they're not going to look at the impact it's going to have on the planet on people on whatever they just look at the numbers like really on a cold way and and it's not there's no human there there's no emotion it's just numbers and that's it but if you can create a shift around that and and redefine this relation that we have between customers and and people that sell things and investor that like you you've been trying to get into this subject a bit like trying to look for more eco-friendly sustainable yeah. like companies that give a shit about the impact they have on the planet and on people as well and everything um it, it's getting there it's, it's it's a subject that's growing people are getting interested by it uh, there's still like a long way to go, but there is the shift is happening. Like you can see, it. So yeah. I mean, you have movements like conscious capitalism that are raising really quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the shift is happening, and I think it's going to happen much quicker than we expect because I think, especially now that we've been all quarantined, I think it allowed us to sit with what is important with us. Like, what yeah. are the things that are important What's in our life? And What's essential? Um, why I don't need the Gucci bag? I don't need the Pradas? I like. A lot of people, it's like, okay, like all this stuff doesn't matter. What does matter? And as we got cl more clear on that, I think we'll end up spending our money in places that matter more as well. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Agree. That's, that's great. I'm so excited to see what you're going to be doing over the past, the next few months. And I mean, with the book and everything else, that's so exciting. So you're going to keep doing the podcast, right? That's right. That's going to keep going. Okay, cool. So you'll be able to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, we still have, I already have episodes up till uh, for a two month backlog and uh, I'm still recording a ton. We have some amazing guests coming. I wish so I could be there. <laughs> super, super exciting. Oh, you'll, I tell you, it's going to go quick. Like you start doing this and, you know, especially now that you've overcome all your sales blocks, you'll be able to book more <laughs> yeah. and more appointments. And, uh, and I, I, I can even help you um, with how you can craft the automation around it so that you can actually be ready to interview anybody you want, whenever you want. And oh, people are more available now than ever. So you'll notice it's very yeah, easy. It's true. And something, something really easy I've noticed is that talking about self-limiting belief and everything is that actually most people say yes when I want to interview them. I've got, you've got this thing like he's never going to say yes, you know, because of, I don't know, he's big. Like we just, we're just starting, we don't have a big audience, so he's not going to give a shit about coming on a podcast or whatever. All this story that we tell ourselves, right? pretty much everyone of us, they say yes, pretty much everyone. <laughs> yeah, so isn't, that, isn't that yeah. interesting? You're yeah, at it's such a good listen, yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's at the beginning of your journey that a lot of people are there, they're willing, they're giving, especially if you're in a kind of a position where you have an audience and you see someone is just starting off, they're putting in the effort, they're hustling, you reward that with a yes. Like, come on, that's that's mm. why you do it. And like, I think you're going to be able to get bigger guests than you can even imagine on your show because everyone yeah, wants to see uh, a win. I, I, I've been reaching out to a few people that would never think they would even see my message and and actually they both said yes. Like, Ta-da. We'll have 
we probably recall like i don't know when but i need to figure it out but yeah like, you aggressive salesperson you. <laughs> <laughs> no but it's yeah like we just need to get over this self-limiting belief of like i don't know i'm not big enough yet so they're not gonna care about whatever it's just the worst that's gonna happen is nothing yeah exactly yeah. you're fine yeah. <laughs> i'll be so. all right yeah 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 well thank you so much jason that was amazing to get to know you and also i got so much value from it so <laughs> thank you personally I <laughs> and i hope it. the listeners are going to get value uh i will link everything in a show note anyway uh so they know where to find you uh instagram is the best way i guess yeah instagram is fun yeah you know i should be on linkedin but i find instagram is just fun so yeah you can send me a message there if you want to get that cheat sheet uh, on how to sell from love it goes into the concepts a bit more and uh and yeah just come and say hi cool and i'm really looking forward for your book next year thank you so I'll much get it. on the pre-sale on the kindle i'll be there <laughs> sounds good yeah thank you thank you so much jason for this episode and thank you so much for everybody tuning in we really hope you enjoyed it if you did make sure you share it with somebody else who might be interested and we'll be back next wednesday with a brand new episode thank you so much for tuning in and we'll speak to you soon